The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Last week we looked at uh, 1 John chapter 4, this whole issue of, uh, which is really an explanation based upon John 17. In John 17, Jesus tells us there's a new commandment he's giving us, and that commandment is we love each other. And here in, in, in 1 John 4, he culminates with this in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. This is exactly what he says in John 1, 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. What he means by that, Christ coming into the world and going to the cross gives us a clear picture of who God really is. If you want to know who God is, look at the cross. And so here he says, beloved, he says, it starts with the same thing in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. But then he says this, if we love one another as believers, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Perfected means it has reached its end goal. It has actually culminated in exactly what God wanted to culminate in. Our love for God is manifested in our love for each other. And when people see believers loving one another, it is a picture of the living God. This is the kind of God that we serve. Um, I heard somebody say yesterday, the value of your life is, is how much you have given away. And he's basing this on John on Acts chapter 20, verse 35, where Paul says, In everything I showed you that by working hard in the manner you must help the weak, and remember the words the Lord Jesus said, that he himself said, it is, ma it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so God tells us that our loving him is how the world sees. How, when we love each other, it shows the world what the love of God is really like. Uh, we are today going to look <coughs> at 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. This is the passage that you heard read. Uh, and in, in verse 13, he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he is, as he is, so also are we in this world. You guys have shown, displayed the characteristics of your father, your heavenly father. It's, been a, it's a wonderful, wonderful expression. Uh, there is no fear in love. What he means by that is love is... is Casts out fear. He goes on to say that. But perfect love is continually casting out fear. We're not afraid to draw close to God because we love him. And, it, and he says, fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Now, this idea of perfected really speaks about the fact that God's love that he has displayed in Jesus Christ, and he also now displays in the way we love each other, that love it reaches its designed end when we love each other. In other words, the reason that God poured his love out upon us is so that we would love one another and display to the world what the love of God is really like. And he says, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother in Christ, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And that's something that you can see your brother, but you can't see God. God, no one has seen God at any time. 
but the only begotten God is in the bosom of the Father. He has clearly displayed him, and now he's being displayed in the way that we love each other. And this commandment we have for him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. What an amazing uh, truth this is of who God is and the fact that he finds great pleasure in our display of his love by loving one another. And uh, this is a great opportunity for us, and I, I pray that it sinks deep into our hearts. The, the title of this message is, How Can I Know I'm Walking with God? Of course, what I'm talking about is, how can I know that I'm really in fellowship with the living God? Uh, we use those kind of terms probably a lot. Are you in fellowship with the Lord? I once had a, a friend of mine. I talked to him on the phone the other day. I hadn't talked to him in years, but I found him. He was back in, back in the Midwest somewhere. And I still remember a period of time in our lives when I was explaining to him what a carnal Christian was. <laughs> because he, he ran into that word in 1 Corinthians. He says, what is a carnal Christian? What does it mean to be carnal? And so I explained it to him, but I must have done a horrible job because he became elated that he now understood himself. He was a Christian, but he was a carnal Christian. And so that's the reason he had so many things in his life that shouldn't be there. What this passage is about, how do I know that I'm really walking in fellowship with God? What are the signs of a believer being in a right relationship with the living God? And uh, I have a little uh, display for you. This is the passage I just read. Uh, and what I want to do is, based upon that, notice this. There's going to be evidences of God's life in you, he tells us in verses 13 through 16. When you're in a right relationship with God, there will be evidences of God's life in you. It will be seen. It will be understood. And usually, it's very clear when a, a, a brother and sister in Christ who are married, a, a married couple, when one of them gets into fellowship and the other is not, the one that is not can see there are real differences here because God is doing something wonderful. And the first thing that he talks about, the first evidence of life, is our possession of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have the Holy Spirit? All of you do. Now, we know that's true by what? How do we know that's true? I only ask you this because there's a lot of believers out there you're going to run into who don't understand that all Christians have the Holy Spirit. But where would you go to prove that? Okay, let me give it to you, and I don't want you to ever forget it again. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. It says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. Because this is how God has brought us into the family, is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you remember what Jesus said when he told his disciples, he said, it's, I'm going to go away. I'm leaving. And it's a, it, is a, it is to your advantage that I leave. Can you imagine what they were thinking? And he says, this is the reason it's to your advantage. If I don't go away, the, whole, the helper cannot come. That is the paraclete, the parakletos, the helper who's alongside of us. He can't come as long as I'm here. But if I, if I go to the Father, I'm going to send the helper to you. And every believer, every single Christian, we are told clearly in the New Testament, this is a mark of being a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life, and he produces changes in you. And so this is the first thing he mentions in verse 13. He says it this way, By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. He gave you the Holy Spirit to live in you and to produce effects in you. He wants the Spirit not just, not just to know that as a doctrinal thing, I got it in my head, 
all Christians have the Holy Spirit. But he means it to be something that I actually experience, the Spirit living in me, the Spirit producing the fruit of the Spirit. And all of you know what the fruit of the Spirit is, right? Well, you all know love, joy, peace, right? It's, it's, there are nine of them, nine pieces to this fruit. He uses the word fruit, which is talking about a plurality, and he mentions these specific fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, faith. I'm not even saying them right because I can't say them either. But it's amazing. This is a full-orbed characteristic of our life because the Holy Spirit is living within us. He influences us in this way. And when we get around fellow believers, we see the fruit of the Spirit being manifested most of the time. And the second thing he said is, we'll be confessing the Son. In verse 14 and 15, he says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he abides in God. Isn't that wonderful? The fact that the Son has come, and you have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son, that's the, that's the testimony you believed. You remember that? We are told over and over again that the Father has testified concerning the Son. He testified one time, the whole crowd heard him when Jesus was baptized. God speaks from heaven and says to that crowd, this is my beloved son, listen to him. I am well pleased with him, listen to what he has to say. And so one of the effects of you walking in fellowship with God is you will be aware that the son is who the word of God says he is, who Jesus, who the father says he is. He is the Son of God, and He has come to take up residence in us. And then the third thing He mentions is abiding in the Father. This is a characteristic of walking with God. How do I know I'm walking with God? I'm going to be abiding in the Father. He says in verse 16, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. It's pretty apparent, isn't it, that we have come to the place where God wants us to love one another, to demonstrate that he is in our midst. How are people going to know that he's in our midst when they come and visit us? Here's the way, is the way we treat each other. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us, for God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That's such simple and wonderful truth, that God abides in us. And his abiding in us is seen in the fact that we love each other. And this is, this is to be the atmosphere that we breathe in the church of Jesus Christ, that we love one another. Now, the next thing he says is, if we're, if we're walking with God, if we're in fellowship with God, there will be a perfecting of God's love in you, a perfecting of God's love in you. That very thing he has said in verse 12 is going to be, a, is going to be fulfilled in your life. You are going to see the perfection of God's love. Now, perfection, by the way, and I've said it 15 times, I want to say it again, it has the idea of it reaching its goal. What is the goal of God's love for us? Is that we would love the brethren. You know, God has all these people, all of his people here on earth that are still living and are not in his presence. And God wants us to love one another. That is his goal. That is the ultimate goal of his love for us. He says, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love is continually casting out fear. 
So we're, we, don't stay, we don't keep our distance because we're afraid of the consequences, but instead we cast out fear and we move closer and we love people. We continue to show love towards them. This was a, a wonderful display of your love for somebody who is shepherding another flock here in town, and yet you have shown love to him. That's a wonderful thing. That is a great, great thing. It's one of the most blessed things I've ever seen happen in the life of a local church because it is a display of your love for a brother and sister and family in Christ who needed our help, and I'm so glad that you've done this. There's no fear in love. There is no fear in love, John says, but perfect love is continually casting out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Sometimes we can get in that state where we're so afraid to reach out to people. It scares us to death to reach out to people and actually communicate to them our love for them, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we care for each other. And I, we want to minister to one another. Sometimes ministering to somebody is simply acknowledging that you know what they're going through. You know the things that they face and you are praying for them and you want them to know that you're on their side and that you are, are, are bombarding heaven with your prayers for them. You want them to be blessed by the living God. That's what God has called us to do. And then he said, the second thing is that you will show a loving concern for the brethren. In verses 19 through 21, he says, we love because he first loved us. When did God love you? When did he set his love upon you? Before the foundation of the world, right? Before the foundation of the world, he loved us. He set his love upon us and he began to work on our behalf. You know, you're really a piece of work because God has been working on you for all this time. Before the foundation of the world, he set his love upon you. And he said he chose you to be recipients of his grace. And he chose you to be adopted into the family of God. He did that before the foundation of the world. And he continues to love you and care for you and watch out for you. And sometimes what happens to us is because of our fear, we don't step into the place God wants us to step into. He wants us to communicate these things to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is amazing to me how easy it is to get angry with each other and how difficult it is to show love towards each other. That's the, that is because we live in a fallen world and we are affected by sin because God has called us to be sacrificial in our love for each other. He has put you in this particular place so that you could love the brethren. Now, that's what he says here. How can I know I'm walking with God by these characteristics? Let me, let me uh, just mention a couple of things I want to uh, I love that word about us being fishers of men. I was walking the other day, and I know that in, in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, he talks about spiritual gifts. And one of the things he says is, the Spirit has sovereignly determined the gift he wanted to give us that would fit our life and fit our circumstances. But he also says later on, he says to pray for gifts in the Spirit, in the church. Pray that God would supply us with spiritual gifts being actively energized and worked in our midst. And I wanted to, I, I actually, I didn't think it was biblical, but I wanted to ask God to give me a gift, a specific gift, a, the gift of evangelism. I thought, man, what, wouldn't that be something if you had the gift of evangelism, that you were, that you were always seeing opportunities to speak up and to talk to people about the living Christ? But you know what? You, you are able to do that. 
because he has saved you. He's given you this gift of salvation. And now he wants you to communicate that to others. And he's constantly putting people in your path that he's, it is, as you heard, we have been called to be fishers of men and women. My sister told me she was <laughs> in a Bible study and she said, I really love these people, but there's this one lady who's constantly giving a word of knowledge, she calls it. And she, one, one time at this meeting, she said, the Lord has told me he's going to give you a man. My, wife, my sister's a widow. And I said, you should have told him you didn't want a man. You weren't looking for a man. Because this lady was just sure that the Lord had told her that she was going to receive a man. Well, you're going to run into that kind of stuff a lot. But here's, here's what you have, is you have the truth of the word of God. And you can communicate the truth of the word of God. You know what's better than a word of knowledge like that? If somebody assumes that God's speaking to them and saying, uh, tell, tell, uh, tell brother so-and-so that God's going to give him a new head of hair. <laughs> and instead, you can say, the word of God says that God has placed the spirit in your life, and he will always be in your life, and that he has given you a spiritual gift. How do I know that? 1 Peter chapter 4 says, as each one has received a gift, use it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Every believer has a gift. I said the other day that I think only spouses really probably know the best about the gift of their spouse. I think that's true. It's because they can see what's going on in their heart. They can see what's going on in their life and how there are certain things that they really are drawn to. They want to minister to people in a certain way. But the, the fact is, you've been given a gift. And God says, this is what, through Peter, he says, Peter says, as each one has received a gift, use it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, I've explained this a hundred times. I'm going to explain it again anyway. As a good steward of the manifold grace of God means that God has put you in a position where he's going to give you things that he wants you to pass on to others. Now, if you have a gift of exhortation, it's encouragement. So he's gifted you to encourage others. And so what Peter has said is, use your gift, that gift that God has given you, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What did a good steward do? Well, a good steward was a servant in the household who was supposed to dispense the goods that the master was supplying for the people. If it was food or something else, they were responsible to give that out to those who needed it. So what are you supposed to do? Well, you are, you are to pray that God would give you wisdom in using the gift that he's given you to dispense his grace, his grace, his unmerited favor, his kindness, his free kindness. You're the one, you are to dispense that grace that he supplies and you are, to, you are to give it through the gift that you have. If you have the gift of exhortation, you encourage. If you have the gift of helps, you help lift a load. The word, the gift of helps is a word, it's a word picture, a picture word. It's a picture of a person who sees somebody carrying something, it's too heavy for him, so he jumps in and he picks up one end of it and says, here, let me help you. It's too much. Now, I don't think it's always an, a physical object. Sometimes it's a circumstance you're going through. And God wants you to step in and say, you know, I would really like to help you in this. I don't know exactly how to do it, but I want to be a help to you because I can see this is a heavy load and it's wearing and I want to be a help. 
And, and I believe that God wants me to, to, to provide you what I can possibly give you. I want to dispense his grace in the form that you need it. You see, this is what we're supposed to be doing. It's what we've been called to do. All of us have a spiritual gift, every single one of us. And it would be fun if I was asked the question, let's, go, let's just go row by row and each of you tell us what your gift is. That would scare you, wouldn't it? That would scare me too. Because I'd be afraid that I'd tell him what I, I would say what I think my gift is. And so I'd say, boy, I don't think so. But he's gifted every believer and has supernaturally enabled you to be able to dispense his grace into people's lives. Sometimes people need you to pray for them. Sometimes they need you to tell them the truth when nobody else will. Sometimes they need you just to be an encouragement to them or teach them something that they don't understand and they need your help with. This, this is what he has done. He's equipped all of us. There's no exceptions. Because Peter says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another and dispensing the grace of God into their lives. So there's no such thing as a giftless Christian. Every believer has a spiritual gift. Now, a lot of times we don't have the gift we think. I don't have the gift of walking. I've got the old man stumble. I've noticed that lately. I can stumble and fall so easily. So I, but I do know that he has gifted every single one of us to be a blessing to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we go looking for help in the wrong place. We should go looking for help among the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ, our family. Would you pray for me? Sometimes all we need to do is tell people, would you pray for me? I'm really facing some difficult things in my life. Would you pray that God would give me the wisdom to face this and the strength to face it? See, we are one with another. What you saw this morning, your, the, the effect of your giving a gift to a family who is in need, is a wonderful encouragement to us that God has gifted all of us to give ourselves away. And you know, I do believe it's true that the value of your life is, is, is based upon how much you have given away. Have you given yourself away? Do you ever give yourself to fellow believers in order to encourage them and build them up? You know, sometimes uh, people get discouraged and they don't want anybody to know it. And so they kind of hide it. But it's pretty hard to hide, isn't it? It's hard to hide a sad face. It's just so obvious. I can see several right here. <laughs> and, but we need to be ready to exercise the gift that God has given us in order to glorify him. He is glorified when we love each other. I've been in places in different times when believers have been in each other's throats. Sometimes it's over in some doctrinal issue, you know, limited atonement or something like that. Uh, but the fact is we fight better than we can love. And God's called us to love each other. He's called us to show and manifest love. You know, there's a big difference between notional knowledge of the Christian life and experiential knowledge of the Christian life. Do you know what I mean? You know, you can tell somebody, well, this is what the Bible says. It says, well, just like I just did. You have a spiritual gift. You have the spirit living in you. Christ has died for you. Christ is living in you. The Father is living in you. Do you know the Bible teaches that? 
that the Father, Son, and Spirit are all inside of you. They're living in you. They never leave you or forsake you. That's all true. But sometimes I know those things, but I don't experience them. There's There's a thing called experimental Christianity, or experiential Christianity is what they're talking about. That is, do I actually experience the presence of Christ in my life? Do I experience his presence? Do I experience him him nudging me and moving me towards treating people the way he says in his word I should treat them? Does he do that? I say, yes, he does. Now, some people get so caught up in experiential Christianity that they want to just lean on their own feelings and what seems right to them, which doesn't seem right according to the word of God. But God has called us to experience the reality of this relationship with God. He wants us to experience the reality of the relationship we have with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you, and he's given, and he's given you a spiritual gift, and he will empower you. What did the Bible say? Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, um, I'm going away, and he says to them, but it's good that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper can't come. But if I go away, I go back to the Father, I'm going to send the, the, the helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And what does that tell you? What that tells you is God has made provision for you to bear testimony to the reality of who Christ is. Because the helper is here. And the helper, the the parakletos, is able to convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment. Do you remember what he says, explains those three things? He explains all three of them. Why would he... he, uh, Convict people about sin. Well, it says because, because they don't believe on me. You, you thought I was going to say, well, you know, what is the great sin? You know, there's a, there's a YouTube video you ought to watch. Uh, it's, a, it's the uh, testimony of a lady whose name I'm just forgetting. It's just run out the right of the side of my head. Uh, Rosario Butterfield, that's her name. She was a... She, was a, she still is a professor at an Ivy League school, world-renowned in literature, but she was a lesbian. And, and the uh, promise keepers came to town, and they irritated her like crazy because they took too many par- har- parking places, they made life difficult for her, and, I, and she thought that what they were teaching was baloney. And so she wrote a letter and put it in the paper, and she was condemning them. She was saying how terrible they were and what a, what a plague they were on the United States, our culture. And so this pastor calls her, and he says, you know, I read your article. I'm really fascinated. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Do you think you could come over and have dinner with us, and my, me and my family? We'd love to have you, and we could spend some time talking about this. I really want to get your perspective. She was blown away. She has since written, she became to faith in Christ. And now she wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a, key, a House Key. The Gospel Comes with a House Key because they invited it into her family. She has this conversation. She hears the gospel for the first time from somebody who wasn't angry with her and wasn't telling her the 15 ways that she was unfit for God. And she ends up experiencing the truth of the gospel. She comes to faith in Christ. You ought to listen to this. It's, you, if you look it up on YouTube, you can find that she gives a testimony to a large Baptist university of how she came to faith in Christ. It's amazing how the, God used the word of God to bring clarity in her mind. 
about things she thought she was so clear about. And he brought her to salvation. He brought her to faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, we need to be aware that God can bring the most unusual people in our lives. And he has not called you to, to explain to people why they are so sinful and so worthless and so completely rejectable by God. He wants you to show people what Jesus Christ is like. He wants you to demonstrate to them what Christ is like. And that's what happened in this family. They kept inviting her over for months. She would come over and have dinner with them. And finally, after about five or six months, she came to faith in Christ. And now she's a believer in Jesus Christ. And in this testimony that she gives at this big Baptist university, it's just amazing. The truth of the gospel penetrated her hearts, and she came to faith in Christ. And now God is using her as a bold witness for Christ. It's just a wonder. You know, but that's what God wants to do through your life. He's bringing people into your path, right in your path, and you're the perfect person to share the gospel with them because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the Father residing in you and the Son residing in you, and you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. So if, you, if somebody here doesn't have a Bible, but I'm assuming that all of you have a Bible, and you can actually share the gospel with somebody. It may be somebody, the most unlikely person in the world. Can you, ever, can you imagine a more unlikely person coming to your dinner table? And this guy had her over, and she said, the most amazing thing is, it was, we met, I had dinner with him five times before he ever shared the gospel with me. And she thought that was wonderful because he, he just wanted to get to know her. He wanted her to understand who Christians were and what we were. And God ends up calling her into the very bosom of the living God, and she is a follower of Jesus Christ. God wants you to experience those kind of things. He's, he's got you placed in just the perfect place. In your path this week is going to be somebody that he wants you to show Christ to. That's what he's doing. Now, we're told that he's given us the spirit. In fact, uh, we, we are told that uh, God has supplied us with everything we need in order to do his will, to accomplish his purpose. What if God puts a person in your path that seems like the hardest case you've ever seen. You couldn't imagine uh, somebody being worse off, couldn't, somebody being so hardened against the living God, and perhaps that's the person God wants you to have the pleasure of leading to a true knowledge, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that God is op He's basically giving us carte blanche. We can talk to anybody in this world about Jesus Christ. And you don't start by saying, you know, I see that little red dot in your hair there. You must be an elect. We don't start that way. We start this way. You know the God that created you? The God that brought you into existence? The God that made you who you are with all these qualities? This God wants you to come to know him through his son. And I want to tell you about it. And you know, God has, will use you in ways that you can't even imagine because he loves to surprise people with his grace. And sometimes his grace comes in the form of giving you the opportunity to lead a person who's so far from God into the very presence of God and to know him 
and to know him in a saving way. And that's what I really want to see happening in your lives, that you would, you would come to see God interrupting your life. You heard that, what was said about the fishers of men. Well, uh, this man he's talking about says that he has had this real yearning lately just to be a witness for Christ, to talk to people about Christ, to call people to faith in Christ. I think all of us should have that craving, shouldn't we? It's a craving that all of us should have. It, it blesses your soul when you hear people talking about how God brought them to faith in Christ. One night we, we had some of the people share how God had worked in their life, and Jeannie, the Ramesses, uh, shared with us how they came to Christ. It was amazing how God brought people into their life to intersect them, to, to interrupt them, and to bring them to a knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to a saving relationship with the living God. I have, I've never heard a testimony that I didn't like. I've heard people confused, but I've never heard a testimony I didn't love because God is a glorious God, isn't he? He's a wonder of a God, and he is able to use you this week. Do you believe he's a miracle-working God? Would it be miraculous for him to use you to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe. Well, let me tell you, he wants to do that. He wants to interrupt your life and cause you to intersect with somebody who desperately needs the living Christ. And he wants to lead you through that process of calling people to receive by faith this glorious gift. We sang a song. It's called him a prize. Well, he is a prize, isn't he? He's a wonder that we have, the Lord Jesus Christ who lives in us. And he's living in every one of you. As we sit in this room, no matter how empty or filled we get with this room, every person who has Christ is sitting there with the creator and sustainer of all things inside of you. You think he's able? he was able to create the universe, we're told. In him, we are told in John chapter 1 that nothing came into being apart from him. Everything that has come into being has come into being through him. So do you think he could use you to intersect somebody's life and lead them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely he can. He's that kind of a God. Jesus Christ is able to use the lowliest of us, and that's me, to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a person who desperately needs him. And so I just want to tell you, this is one of the ways that you manifest the love of God to this world, is when you care enough to tell people about the one who came into this world to save us from our sins and to give us life and to give us this glorious prize, <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ living in our being, living within us. So I never have to say, well, I, you know, I go to work all the time and I forget my phone. And then sometimes I forget my Bible. Sometimes I forget my computer. Almost every day my wife has to call and tell me where it's at. Or I call her and ask her where it's at. She's amazing. She's got this gift of finding stuff I lose. Because I'm constantly losing things, forgetting things. But isn't it amazing that God is able to interrupt your day with contact with somebody who needs exactly what you have been given to give away? If you want to give away something, if, if a life is really the value of what you've given away, let me tell you that you can give Christ away. You can give the gospel away. You're not selling anything. 
you're giving the most glorious gift in all the world. And he wants you to give it away. And so that's what we pray for, for each other, that God would use us to give away this glorious gift. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your kind grace. We thank you, Father, for giving us a love for you and a love for one another that surprises us and is such a blessing to us. We thank you so much, Father, and we pray that you would work in our lives this week, that you would cause us to see this rich, rich blessing that you have filled our life with and that you want us to give it away. You want us to be giving away this glorious gift to others so that they could come to experience exactly what we've experienced. We are so thankful for that. We thank you for your kindness and for your patience and for your glory, Father. And now as we sing this, this final song, we pray that we would sing it from the bottom of our hearts. We want to extol you. We want to lift up your name in praise and adoration because you are such a good Father. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.